0: Good morning, church. Boy, I tell you what, we just had an incredible week at Bible school this week. Uh, I got a Hebrew word for what happened this week. It's the Hebrew word, wow. I mean, it really was amazing to see all that God did this week. And I I told someone this morning, I said, you can kind of sense it from the very first day of BBS, and it just carried through out the whole week and thank you so much for all of you here over in the Life Center, maybe even those watching online, that for all that you did to make VBS possible, I want to kind of give you a quick rundown, you know we, children bring pennies every year and, and we weigh the pennies, it's something unique to Mount Airy and then we give that money away to missions and this year they, the, ki- the kids brought, in, in a competition thing, they brought 1,025 pounds of pennies. Which is amazing. That's seventeen hundred and sixty-eight dollars. Yes, absolutely. Now that money is going. All of it's going to be given to water missions to help place a well uh, there in Kenya. And so, uh, let me just kind of throw out a challenge to you. Maybe you'd like to help match that seventeen hundred dollars. We, I think we could do that, and, and then we could send all of that money. Uh, None of it's for us. All of it's going to go to the Water Missions International. And and so if you'd like to help match that, you can just drop a check, send it to us, whatever. Uh, You know how to do that. We'd appreciate helping to send as much as we can to Water Missions. But now here's the really good news. Somebody get ready to celebrate with me. This week, because of the Lord's goodness and grace, because the gospel is still real, this week we saw 23 children and middle schoolers put their faith in Christ. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Man, that's awesome. Over the Life Center, I know a lot of you are watching in the Life Center, 23 come to faith in Christ, uh, middle schoolers and and our children, and, and then we had around 215 uh, children on average, I, th- some, I think that... The highest got close to 230 uh, on average uh, that we had at Bible school, plus our workers. And this blows my mind, 152 registered workers in Bible, school, adults, 152 adults working to to make this possible. And so I just want to say thank you so, so much for all that you've done to make Bible school such a, a, a great success this year. But most of all, praise be to the Lord. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a new summer series, and this summer series is called Under the Sun. I thought that's a pretty good title for a summer series, Under the Sun. But it's not a series about the beach or anything like that. It's a series from the book of Ecclesiastes. For the next six or seven weeks, we're going to work our way through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Would you find that in the Old Testament? Easy way to find it is open your Bible kind of in the middle and find Psalms. Then go to the right and you'll come to Proverbs and keep going to the right to the next book and you'll come to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, of course, as we begin to work our way this summer through this book. Now, I was wondering this week as I was preparing this message uh, You know, how many times I've preached through Ecclesiastes, and I went back and checked my records, and I was kind of amazed and embarrassed. I've discovered that I've never preached all the way through the book. That is, I've never done what we're going to do this summer and kind of preach or teach my way through the book of Ecclesiastes. I've just never done that. And then I started looking a little closer in my files, and I discovered that in Nearly t- uh, 33 years of pastoral ministry and 41 years of preaching, I have only preached from this book four times. I've averaged about once every 10 years. I preach a message from the book. So in, in 41 years of preaching, I've only gone to this book to preach a message four times. Uh, part, of, And I'm not exactly sure all of the reasons for that, but I can tell you one of the reasons. Ecclesiastes is not an easy book to digest. It's it's kind of a difficult book, and it's the kind of book that if you start reading it, you really need to read it all the way through to get to the end to understand the book. And we're not going to be able to do that, of course, today, so we're we're going to take little pieces of it, and in the middle of the message today, you're going to think, my goodness, why did I come for this? I could get depressed at home. But... You have to really look at the big picture of the book to understand even the smaller pieces. And so it's not an easy book to digest, but it is a fascinating book. In fact, it's probably one of the only books that I know in the Bible that has secular songs written about it. In 1977, when I was a teenager, during my junior year in high school, there was a band named Kansas. And do you remember the band Kansas, anybody? All right, some of you are willing to admit it. Yeah. There's a band named Kansas, and they had a song, a popular song, released in 1977, really hit the charts in 1978, my senior year in high school, and the title of the song is Dust in the Wind. I love that song. I'll give you the words to it. He says, I close my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes a curiosity. Dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Now, don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away and all your money, another minute it won't buy. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind, dust in the wind, everything is dust in the wind. That's actually right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I I used to sing that song as a teenager not knowing that I was singing Ecclesiastes. I had no idea I was singing Ecclesiastes, I just thought it was a good song. I'd sing it, you know, and back when I had hair and it, it was just blowing in the wind and That was then. It's not now, that's for sure. Ecclesiastes is kind of a difficult book to grasp, yet it is a fascinating book, so much so that secular songs have been written about it. And that's not the only one. Now, this book is so unique because of who wrote it and because of why he wrote it. The book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, was written by King Solomon, who was a third king of Israel, and he reigned in Israel uh, about 3,000 years ago. And the interesting thing is, even though he wrote this book about 3,000 years ago, it sounds like he could have written it in 2019. Ecclesiastes deals with the timeless questions about life. So it doesn't matter if it's 3,000 years ago or, or 30 minutes ago, the questions that he asks in this book are questions that we all ask from time to time. Questions like, what's the meaning of life? What's life all about? Does God even care? Is life even worth living? Philip Reichen said, Ecclesiastes is for people who have their doubts about God, but can't stop thinking about Him. I hear that, that's a pretty good statement. He said, Ecclesiastes is for people who have their doubts about God, but can't stop thinking about Him. Maybe that's why this book has spoken to skeptics through the years, as well as believers over the centuries. So, so let's just kind of jump in and see what it's all about. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, you immediately we see this word teacher, or in your translation it may say preacher. The, the Hebrew word there is preacher. Kohelet, and it means simply one who gathers people together to teach them something he's learned. A a Kohelet was someone who was a a teacher or a preacher who would gather a group of people together because he's learned something in life, and he wants to teach them about what he's learned through the experiences of his life. So this teacher comes together, and the teacher is identified for us as the son of David, King Jerusalem. Now, there is some debate about who the author of Ecclesiastes is, but I think the obvious answer would be Solomon. Now, you need to remember that in 1 Kings chapter 3, the story of Solomon. Back in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon was taking over for his father David. Saul was the first king of Israel. Then David, who who led the the kingdom in, in such great prominence. And then than Solomon. Solomon had big shoes to fill. And and as he was taking over the the reign, uh, now assuming the the kingship, if you you will, God said, Solomon, I want to grant you a request. What is it that you would ask of me? If I could give you one thing, what's that one thing you'd want me to give you? And Solomon, without hesitation, said, God, if you give me one thing, give me wisdom to govern your people. Because I got some big shoes to fill from my daddy, David. And I'm not that old, and I don't know what I'm doing. Give, give, me, give me wisdom so I'll govern the, these people rightly, so I'll be a good king. And just listen to what God said in response, chapter first uh, Kings 3, verse 12 and 13. Just listen to what God said. He said, I'll give you what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you. Listen to this. I'm going to give you a wise, discerning heart so there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your life you will have no equal among kings. And so during his 30-year reign as king, I'm sorry, 40-year reign as king, Israel enjoyed a season of peace and prosperity, and Solomon became the most powerful, the most wealthy, the most accomplished, the most educated man in his time. His greatest legacy, of course, his greatest achievement was building the temple in Jerusalem. It was Solomon who built the first temple. In all of its grandeur and all of its glory, Solomon was the one charged with that responsibility to build a dwelling place of God among his people. It was Solomon in his wisdom, in his giftedness who did that. Yet, listen to this. Later in life, later in life, that same godly man, later in life, that same godly man, who is the wisest man in the world, was deceived by his own lust. Why don't you put your finger in Ecclesiastes? I I need to paint a picture for you to help you to understand this book. Put your finger there or bullet in Ecclesiastes, go over to the left and Find the book of 1 Kings. It's beyond Psalms. And find the book of 1 Kings and look for chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4 if you're taking notes. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Now, remember... This is the one that God said, I'm going to give you wisdom to such a degree. You will be the wisest man on earth. You will be the wisest man who ever lived. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Solomon, I'm putting in parentheses, Solomon, the wisest man in the world. Nevertheless, Solomon, the man who had such wisdom, but he could not control his own lust. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives did what? Led him astray. Look at verse 4. This is a key verse to understanding Ecclesiastes. As Solomon grew old, late in life, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, little g-gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. As Solomon grew old, his heart was turned away from God. Remember that. That is such a key statement to understanding Ecclesiastes. Now, Here's what happened, I believe, in Solomon's life. He was called by God. He was chosen by God. He was gifted by God. He was used by God to such a degree that it was he who was chosen to build the temple of God. Yet late in life, he wandered away from God. Late in life... He began to experiment with what the world had to offer. In today's terms, we would say, late in life, he backslid. Late in life, he started experimenting with things. Now, it is believed that Solomon eventually turned back to God. Late late in life, that he turned back to God, and that's when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, this is actually one of three books that Solomon wrote that's in our Bibles. All three books, it's interesting, all three books that Solomon wrote are considered wisdom literature. They're part of the section of the Old Testament called wisdom literature. He wrote the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. They're all three put together in our English Bibles. It's interesting when he wrote those books. It is believed that the Song of Solomon was written when he was a young man and was in love. Don't read that book unless you're over 18, all right? you just That's somewhat of a joke, but you didn't get it. That's okay. You haven't read that book, apparently. he, He wrote the Song of Solomon when he was young and in love. He wrote the book of Proverbs, probably around middle age, full of godly wisdom. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes late in life as a broken, disillusioned man who had experienced the pain of a wasted life. Which explains the way he begins his book. If you go back to Ecclesiastes, go back and find it again. Go back to Ecclesiastes, I want you to see how he begins his book. I want you to see what he says in verse 2. This is, his, this is his big opening statement in verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That kind of warms your heart, doesn't it? One commentator said that Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible we know that was written on Monday morning. I like that. I think that's probably true. It really captures the futility and the frustration of trying to live our lives in a fallen world, especially when we try to live our lives, watch this, apart from God. Verse 2 basically summarizes the theme of the whole book. Look at it again. Here's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now Solomon had more money. He had more fame. He had more power. He had more wisdom than any of us will ever, 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 ever have. He had all the things that we think we need. He had all the things that we think will make us happy. And we'll look at that next week as he experimented with all kinds of different things. And yet, with all of the things that he had, the fame and the power and the prestige and the the wealth, with everything that he had, he uses the word meaningless to summarize his life. And he uses it 38 times in the book. That's the theme of the book. 38 times. It's scattered throughout all 12 chapters. He, He keeps talking about how meaningless life is. And in fact, he uses that word as you just saw in verse 2. He uses the word meaningless at the beginning of the book four times in one verse. The Hebrew word here is very interesting. And I want to take a couple of moments and let's just park for a moment and talk about this word meaningless. So let's talk about what it really means because he scatters it so often throughout the book. We need to make sure we understand what this word meaningless means. Really is all about. In the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word there is Hevel. Say it with me. Hevel. You didn't say it. I'm going to give you another chance. Over to the Life Center, see if you could say it with me. Hevel. H E V E L. Like level, except it's not level, it's Hevel. It literally means a vapor. A breath, you know like in the wintertime when you're cold and you, you breathe out and you see your breath there for just a moment? A breath, a vapor, or a wisp of smoke. The idea is that hevel is empty. It's unfulfilling. Basically, whatever appears quickly and then leaves nothing behind and does not satisfy to the Hebrew mind is hevel. I think the best way to demonstrate it is to show you what I'm talking about. Everybody, watch up here real closely. You don't have to watch carefully to see this from where you're at, but I think you can see it. This is your life. This is your life. There's a, there's a day when your life started, there's a day when your life will end. Now, watch out. You see that smoke? That's heaven. Smoke was real, wasn't it? It wasn't an imagination. It was real. You could see it, and if you're close enough, you can smell it. But when you try to grab it, nothing there. It's heavy. It's empty. Unfulfilling. Solomon said, that's the way life is. Life is hevel. It's like a, a breath or it's like a wisp of smoke. He was using the word to emphasize two things. To, first of all, to emphasize that life is short. And we'll see this throughout the book, that life is short. I mean, how long did, did that puff of smoke last? Not very long. And it's interesting. Once it was gone, everybody listen to this. Once you saw the smoke, and if you're close enough, you could smell it, but it didn't last long, and once it was gone... It was as if it didn't even exist. You need to see it again now that you know what you're looking for. There's your life. Devil. It's as if, once it's gone, that it never even existed. And so Solomon uses this word, Hevel, 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to show us that life is short. You can see it, it's there, and then it vanishes. In fact, that's the same message scattered throughout the Bible, isn't it? James chapter 4 verse 14 says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psalm Psalm 39, verse 4, the psalmist said, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. So the reason that he uses the word meaningless in verse 2 four times, and he uses it throughout the book 38 times, the word hevel is to show us how short life is, especially compared to Eternity. We're just a speck on the timeline of eternity. But he uses the word hevel or the word meaningless also to show us that life is elusive. Not only is it short, but it's elusive. I mean, I showed you twice. The smoke is there. It's very real. But try to grab some of it and put it in your pocket for later and see what happens. Life seems to elude our grasp at times, doesn't it? We're reaching for something, and sometimes we don't even know what we're reaching for, but we're reaching for something that will satisfy us, and and we keep reaching for something that will satisfy us. It might be a bottle, it might be a relationship, it may be more money, it may be prestige and power. We keep reaching for something that will satisfy us, and then we open our hands and it's gone. Solomon said, life is elusive, Life just, it's just not there. It's meaningless. The thing I was striving for, the thing I was reaching for, the thing I was hoping for, it's just not there. It's, it's elusive. I like one seminary professor. He defined hevel this way. He said, hevel is whatever is left over after you break a soap bubble. That's a good word picture, isn't it? Soap bubble is there. It's real. And it's gone. It's heaven. Solomon is simply saying in Ecclesiastes, life brings a sense of emptiness, and life brings a sense of that gnawing feeling of futility. And notice the scope of this emptiness in verse 2. Solomon says at the end of verse 2, everything, here's the scope of it, everything is meaningless. Not one single aspect of our existence is the exception. Life is transitory and life has little to no meaning, Solomon would say. Now, Jack Higgins might be a name familiar to you if you like to read books. Jack Higgins is a famous author. Such bestsellers as The Eagle Has Landed. Jack Higgins says that the one thing he knows now that he wishes he had known when he was a boy is this. He said, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Solomon climbed the ladder higher than anybody. And Solomon would agree. He made the same discovery. Life is utterly, absolutely, totally meaningless. Aren't you glad you came today for this uplifting message? But verse 3 has a question that sets the stage for the rest of the book. Verse 3 has a question that gives us a little hope in this meaningless life we live in. Here's what he says in verse 3. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? What does man gain? That word gain is an interesting word. It's unique to Ecclesiastes, the only place we find it, and, and it literally could be translated, what does it profit you? What advantage is there? You could use the word profit or advantage. In other words, at the end of my life, what's the surplus? What's left over? Or you could say it this way, when I die, what will I leave behind that really matters? I bet you've thought that too, haven't you? When I die, will I leave my mark? When I die, what am I going to leave behind that really matters? And the implied answer is nothing. We're going to dig into that next week in chapters 1 and chapter 2. Solomon is going to make the case, listen, you're not going to leave anything behind. that really matters. And the most famous man in his time, the most powerful man in his time, the most wealthiest man in his time, the most accomplished man in his time says, listen, when you get to the end, all heaven. Now, before you walk out in tears, I need you to see a word or a phrase at the end of verse 3 because this is where we get hope. This is where we get clarity. This is where we get understanding. He says, What does, what does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils? And here's the phrase under the sun. If you want to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, you need to make sure that you note that phrase, under the sun. And that's why I've called the series, Under the Sun. I would encourage you to highlight those three words or underline those three words in your Bible. You will find them 29 times in Ecclesiastes. You'll find that phrase 29 times in Ecclesiastes. And here's what it means. To see things under the sun is to look at things from a human perspective. To look, you're only looking at things under the sun. You're not looking at things above the sun. You know, it says in, in, in uh, one of the New Testament books, set your, your mind on things above, not on things below. And Solomon said, Here, here's the problem with life. You're looking at life under the sun. In other words, you're only looking at life from a human perspective. Watch this. He says, you're leaving God out of the picture. Now remember, Solomon had foreign wives that led his heart away from God. And he went through a time when he tried to live life without God. We'll see next week that he tried everything that the world had to offer. He was living for everything that was under the sun. And he tried everything. He experimented with everything the world had to offer. And he realized it's all meaningless. Brad Barden is a friend of mine, a, pastor, a former pastor who is a member of our church. And, and I asked him the other night, I said, Hey Brad, have you ever preached through Ecclesiastes and his face lit up? He said, man, that's my favorite book. And I thought, really? He, he said, I want tell you something. He said, God used that book when I was trying to figure out Christianity. I, I, God used that book to help me understand what being a Christian is all about. And then he, that night, he sat down and he typed me this, this letter and part of the email, and he gave me permission to share this. He, here's what he wrote in his email. He said, Solomon isn't trying to convince us about following the true and living God as much as he is trying to convince us of the utter futility of living life without him. I thought that was such a great statement. And then he went on to say, back when I was contemplating belief in God, Ecclesiastes really helped me to see the reality of what the world has to offer. Solomon again and again for 12 chapters shows us what the world has to offer. He shows us what life is like under the sun. And his conclusion is, life is pretty empty under the sun. He shows us the weariness of our existence so that we'll not expect to find any meaning or satisfaction in earthly things. Uh, his, His thesis is this. The only way to really find purpose and meaning in life is, watch this, is to focus on the one who is above the sun. Solomon tells us his story in Ecclesiastes late in life when he wandered from God and began to experiment with the things under the sun, he tells us his story and his conclusion is this. Money and sex and power and achievement and all those things that you chase after will never satisfy you. Only God can. His thesis is simply this. You can run after all of the things that are under the sun. But until you put your heart on the one who is above the sun, you will never find meaning, you will never find satisfaction, you'll never find purpose in life. Because life is not about what's under the sun, life is about the one who controls the sun, the Lord Jesus. You see, if you're struggling right now, and we're out of time, I've got to tell you something real quick. If you're struggling right now, you need to look at this question. And the question that we'll be looking at next week, and maybe you can start thinking about it now, is there anything new in life? Ecclesiastes is famous for saying, there's nothing new, watch this, under the sun. It's all the same. But the God who rules over the sun, the Bible teaches, is always doing something new. The Bible, if we had time to talk about it, the, God has made a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, Luke 22. There's a new life that, that he offers us because of the empty tomb, the book of Romans. There's a new heart that God gives to everyone who believes in Jesus, Ezekiel 36. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We also have the promise that even in life's frustrations, they will not last forever because we live in the hope of a new day one day when we walk into the eternity of God you see almost every verse in every chapter in Ecclesiastes shows us how much we need a Savior to make all things new almost every chapter is simply pointing us to Jesus the very fact that your life is weary the very fact that that you're frustrated with life simply points to the fact that only Jesus can satisfy your soul You won't find satisfaction for your soul in anything under the sun. You only find it in the one who is above the sun. And that is what we'll look at this summer. Would you join me as we pray? Every head bowed over in the Life Center. Heads bowed, please. Here in the sanctuary, heads bowed. I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then we'll have the hymn of invitation inviting you to respond. Listen, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're trying to make life work without knowing God, then you know the futility of that, don't you? You know the frustration of that. You know the emptiness of that. You would agree with Solomon. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And so Solomon today would urge you to trust Christ As your Savior today, without delay, here in the sanctuary, over the Life Center, I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking Jeff to stand down front to the side of the stage, and I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Talk to him, or I'll be here at the front for folks in this service. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ today and say, I'm putting my faith in the one who is above the sun. Because life without him is meaningless and futile. Or maybe you already know the Lord, and you're like Solomon. You have wandered away from him. Something stole your heart. Someone led you astray. And you realize that that thing or that person you were chasing does not give you satisfaction. It does not give you peace. It's futile. So my question for you, are you living for the Lord? Or are you living for the things of this world? Are you living for the one who is above the sun? Or are you living for the things that are below the sun? When you start living for the world instead of living for the Lord, you, you, you're you living with the wrong perspective. You'll be chasing things that don't really matter. And today, I believe God's calling you to repent and to confess your sin and Again, during this invitation, you have that opportunity to do that. To say, God, I've been chasing after the wind. I've been chasing things that don't last, that don't matter. I want my life to be more than a wisp of smoke. So you come back to the one who loves you most. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for your word. Teach us in the book of Ecclesiastes this summer so that we can focus on what really matters on the one who really matters above the Son. In Christ's name I pray, amen.